0: Welcome to Her Story, a retelling of the Biblical narratives featuring women in Scripture with Joanne Guarnieri-Hagemeyer, Grace and Peace Joanne. Abigail's story happens before David became a king, and it's unclear whether Abigail followed David to the palace in Jerusalem. There's a possibility David acted as her kinsman-redeemer when she was suddenly and unexpectedly widowed a week before she'd met with David but she is placed among the kings and queens of Israel, not only because she did marry David, but because of her prophetic work in his life. Each story in this series was originally produced as a YouTube presentation. So links to YouTube, Grace and Peace Joanne blog posts, and the books I've written are provided below. Abigail's story begins during a traditionally joyful time, the sheep-shearing festival. Many guests had gathered and there was much feasting, and Abigail was well known for her gracious hospitality, and all the tables were generously supplied, and as the celebration wore on into the evening, ten plainly dressed men entered the pavilion and came to address Nabel. Would he be willing to share some of the festival food with a fellow Judahite, David? Because David, along with his 600 warriors, had not only protected Nabal's herds from marauders and wild animals all throughout the year, he had made sure Nabal's property and servants were also protected. You see, David had grown up as a shepherd. He understood how important this was. And it was his pleasure, as he was living in the land of Judah, his tribal lands to take care of the flocks and herds of his neighbors. Now, what they had asked was well within the cultural ethos of their day. See, tribes took care of their own, and both David and Nabal were of the tribe of Judah. What's more, David's father Jesse was also a very wealthy and well-respected landowner and herdsman. In fact, David's brothers were also soldiers in King Saul's army. But even if this were not so, God's law was clear. If there is among you anyone in need, a member of your community in any of your towns within the land that the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards your needy neighbor. You should rather open your hand, willingly lending enough to meet the need, whatever it may be. Be careful that you do not entertain a mean thought, and therefore view your needy neighbor with hostility and give nothing. Your neighbor might cry to the Lord against you and you would incur debt. Give liberally and be ungrudging when you do so. For on this account, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in all that you undertake. Since there will never cease to be some in need on the earth, i therefore command you open your hand to the poor and needy neighbor in your land there was really only one possible answer Nabal could have given a warm welcome and a generous sweep of his hand come join us in the feast but that is not what happened drunken and disrespectful Nabal not only refused gratitude for their protection He refused even the most basic courtesy. He had them thrown out with insults. Now, of course, the servants were horrified and appalled, because they'd overheard this exchange. Absolutely never in that culture did you ever refuse anyone food, and especially not fellow Jews, and even more especially people from one's own tribe, and even more especially not during the sheep-shearing festival. Nabal had chosen to transgress God's commands and everything that his culture held dear, and he chose to disregard the Lord's warning that God would find guilty of sin those who refused to help their fellow Jews. Nabal had also seemed to dismiss the fact that to refuse David would also invite David's righteous anger, along with, by the way, 600 very hungry, fighting men, living in the hills surrounding his home, humiliated and now looking for revenge. The servants hurried to alert their mistress. In Abigail's day, the management of the home was the wife's domain. Women were in charge of all food preparation, storage, production, from the grinding of grain to the crushing of olives to the baking of bread, even to brewing the beer and also making the wine textiles and ceramics were also in the woman's domain for all the jars and containers in her home were either made by her or under her supervision and all the cloth that was also spun and dyed and woven and crafted all by her or by her servants now for a household of the size of naples there would have been hundreds of servants whereas the shepherds and herdsmen and groundskeepers and farmhands would all have been under naples care all the craftsmen and food preparers, the granaries, the beekeepers, and so on, all of that would have been under Abigail's care and command. And the Bible makes a point of highlighting Abigail's intelligence, as well as her beauty. She was trusted by the servants. They accepted her authority with respect. She was good at organizing. She was quick-acting, quick-thinking, and she was able to provide. She was humble and honoring to others. When she spoke, she was bold, direct, wise, and spiritually mature. It only makes sense that a wealthy and established family like Naples would have been very particular about finding a wife for the heir who could bring with her the same level of wealth and honor. So we know that Abigail came from the same kind of wealthy, established family, a God-fearing family. She was indeed a Proverbs 31 woman and she instantly understood the grave danger they were in to the servants very great relief she immediately set about the work of sending board and fare to david's encampment and with great spiritual depth and emotional wisdom abigail quickly made amends with generous provisions and she took two hundred loaves two skins of wine five sheep ready dressed five measures of parched grain 100 clusters of raisins, 200 cakes of figs, and she loaded them on donkeys. That's First Samuel 25, verse 18. So the first thing that she did was to make the matter of personal importance going herself. Verses 19 and 20 say, She said to her young men, Go on ahead of me, I'm coming after you. And then she rode on the donkey and came down under cover of the mountain. And David and his men came down toward her, and she met them. Number two, she was respectful, giving great honor to the Lord's anointed. Verse 23, When Abigail saw David, she hurried and alighted from the donkey and fell before David on her face, bowing to the ground. Third, she deflected blame from her husband to herself and confessed her own oversight. Verses 24 and 25, Upon me alone, my lord, be the guilt. Please let your servant speak in your ears, and hear the words of your servant. My lord, do not take seriously this ill-natured fellow Nabal. For as his name is, so is he. Nabal is his name, and folly is with him. But I, your servant, did not see the young men of my lord, whom you sent." Number four, she asked David to accept her offering in exchange for bloodshed. Verse 26, Now then, my Lord, as the Lord lives, and as you yourself live, since the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from taking vengeance in your own hand, now let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to my Lord be like Nabal. You see, There's several things going on with this sentence. First, she was acknowledging that David had not actually gone down and put her husband and the rest of the staff to sword. So she was saying, God restrained you. You hadn't got there yet. And then she was also saying, Now let your enemies and those who seek to do evil to you be like Nabal. Let them just be foolish to you. Let them be nothing to you. Just don't mind them. But there's a whole other layer here that we're going to get to in just a minute. Number five, she pleaded with David concerning God's principles to keep him from evil. Verse 28, please forgive the trespass of your servant. For the Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house. Because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. And evil shall not be found in you so long as you live. And I think it is right at this moment that David must have felt the hairs on his arm start standing straight up and little prickles start going up his neck because Abigail had begun to speak prophetically during this delicate diplomatic mission. She had spoken of God restraining David from blood guilt and taking vengeance. How could she have known how david had struggled and ultimately resisted taking vengeance into his own hands concerning king saul david loved god and would have known god's word well because it was read to all the people at every festival every year he knew what the lord had said you shall not hate in your heart any one of your kin you shall reprove your neighbor or you will incur guilt yourself but You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against any of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. What's more, God had leaned into this teaching, saying, Vengeance is mine. Now David had spared Saul time and again, and had only recently said in the hearing of Saul and Saul's soldiers and David's own men, may the lord judge between me and you may the lord avenge me on you but my hand shall not be against you as the ancient proverb says out of the wicked comes forth wickedness but my hand shall not be against you now by his actions david had taught his men to love obedience to god and it was a much different david then who had responded in hot anger to Nabal's abuse, because what did he do? David said to his men, Every man strap on his sword, and every one of them strapped on his sword, and David also strapped on his sword. So David had been poised to take vengeance on Nabal. But Abigail spoke with a prophet's voice, and she spoke with authority. Since the Lord has restrained you from blood guilt and from taking vengeance with your own hand, Now let your enemies, and those who seek to do evil to my Lord, be like Nabal. In other words, treat Nabal like Saul. May they be spared by you, David, because you trust God to deal with them accordingly. Abigail's words went deep. If we were to continue reading in 1 Samuel, we would find out in the very next chapter that David was once again tempted— this time when Abishai offered to spear Saul through in his sleep. But David ultimately resisted. Abigail had reminded David he would not have to do anything wrong in order to gain what God handed mind to give him. But there was more. After showing supernatural insight into what had been happening between David and Saul, Abigail now turned to matters of the future. She prophesied of an everlasting dynasty for David, which was ultimately fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord will certainly make my Lord a sure house, because my Lord is fighting the battles of the Lord. Abigail's prophecy was later confirmed by the prophet Nathan, who conveyed God's promise of a lasting dynasty to David. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever by me. Your throne shall be established forever. Abigail reassured this young warrior that his life would be preserved because God would make certain of it. If anyone should rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living under the care of the Lord your God. Just think about that. How often do you think David recalled those words of prophetic reassurance when he was in battle, when men were falling down all around him, when he found himself in great peril, and then to hear Abigail's voice in his ear If anyone should rise up to pursue you and seek your life, the life of my Lord shall be bound in the bundle of the living under the care of the Lord your God. Now David showed his own humility and spiritual discernment when he recognized the Lord speaking to him through Abigail, and he said to her, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who sent you to me today. Blessed be your good sense, and blessed be you, who have kept me today from blood guilt and from avenging myself by my own hand. David not only accepted her petition and gratefully received her provisions, He also gratefully received her words to him. Go up to your house in peace. See, I have heeded your voice, and I have granted your petition. And Abigail's story does not end in this chapter. She had asked David to remember her, and he did. Neither of them knew she was going to be a widow in a little over a week. But when David heard of Nabal's death, he sent immediately for Abigail. Now, we might think David was remembering what an extraordinary woman she was and how her able hand would be most needed once he was a king. But David would have also known how difficult it was to be a widow, even a widow from a fine family. If she had not yet had children with Nabal, and the Bible seems to indicate that she had no children, then her situation would have been very precarious because there would have been no child to inherit Nabal's wealth, and women did not inherit. Or at least that's to say, wives did not inherit. Sometimes a daughter might, but not a wife. She would not be able to stay even in Nabal's house. And returning to the home of her original family was not done that often. So even though David was still married to Saul's daughter, Michael, and had married again while he was in the wilderness, he remembered the amazing grace God had shown him through Abigail. And he returned that grace by immediately taking her into his home and providing for her as a husband. Now, Scripture describes God's grace in three ways. There's saving grace, there's enabling grace, and there's common grace. Now, the nature of grace is that it's undeserving. It's the whole point of grace. If we deserved it, it would be something else. It would be a reward. But grace is undeserved. And there's really nothing you and I can do to earn God's grace. It's simply a gift that's given out of God's love. Saving grace is at the heart of one of the core doctrines in our faith, justification by grace through faith. And it means we're saved on the basis of God's grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, which we receive when we hear and we believe the gospel. Even being able to believe God and to act on what you and I believe, even that's a gift. What we have actually earned, according to both the Hebrew Scriptures and the Christian Testament, is actually death. All throughout the Bible, it says the reward for sin or wrongdoing is death. But because of grace, God gives the gift of salvation to everyone who would believe in him. And then God justifies each person through the work of Jesus on the cross. So instead of what you and I have earned... God, by grace, gives us eternal life instead. Now, enabling grace is a little different. This is God's empowering of those who have put their faith in him. You see, God's grace is also God's power, God's divine assistance, to be God's instrument and to be the expression of God in every situation. You see, it was by God's grace that Abigail was able to do everything she did, but particularly to prophesy with such accuracy and to speak with such spiritual power, words of conviction and assurance to David. And scripture teaches that God lavishes on all those who put their faith in God the riches of God's grace, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. God's grace makes believers strong. God's grace helps those who put their trust in God whenever we are in need. And then there's common grace. Grace flows from God's love, and God gives no explanation for God's love. It is not anything you or I did. It's not some essence we have, like that we're lovable inherently to God. It's God. It's God's lovable nature. God simply loves. God's nature and being is love. Because God is love, God says the Lord pours rain and shines the sun on every field of the good people and the bad people alike. God blesses the whole earth and sustains all life by God's common grace to all people. Because God's nature is love, God's grace flows from God's love. And ultimately, this is what David modeled to his men when he refused to take vengeance on Saul. That was God's grace, working through David. And Abigail was also displaying God's love to her own husband by protecting him from the consequences, of his own egregious wrongdoing, to her substantial household staff by taking quick action to avert danger, and to David by speaking in the power and the authority of the Spirit of Almighty God, a message David needed to hear. God's grace is restorative. God's grace brings harmony and health to every person and situation, but the action of grace can also be disruptive. Mabel's death was at first a frightening circumstance for Abigail, leaving her potentially homeless and penniless. But God was at work, and by God's grace, both David and Abigail were blessed. The same holds true for you and me today. So often, God's grace dismantles what we know, And that can be unnerving, even frightening. Sometimes it makes us angry. Often it means change or loss. When you find yourself there, think of Abigail and David and how God's overflowing, loving grace broke in disruptive, yes, but filled with blessing. Oh Lord, our God, thank you for Abigail's story. We are so grateful to you for your loving grace that pours over all the earth and all people, and specially fills those who've put their faith in you. We praise you and love you. Oh God, we pray to the praise of your glorious grace. Amen. Only one child is listed for Abigail, a son named Daniel, who may have been given to her in a leveret marriage with David, acting as kinsman redeemer because Abigail's husband, Nabal, a fellow Judahite, was deceased. This allowed Abigail to retain her husband's herds and his flocks and his land and his wealth. She's one of the few women who fared well with Israel's favorite king. Bathsheba's story is a bit more complicated, coming up next in Kings and Queens.